Hello, I'm Helen Perry and this is the Just Bloody Post-It podcast, a show designed to inspire anyone who's out there marketing their work on the internet. Whether you're doing Insta or emails or maybe considering a podcast, your people are here This time, we're going to talk about the serious business of sharing the news on social media. I'm part of a chorus, not a solo. I'm bringing my perspectives and my insights and occasionally my opinions, but I don't want people to only listen to me that I'm only one source and every source brings its own bias. Our guest is Lydia Finney, who runs a, this should not work, but it really does, Instagram account, Lovely Lydia, which balances stories from her small craft business with life in Suffolk with her husband and dogs and her deeply held passion for and knowledge of politics and current affairs. She shares exceptionally thoughtful and educational commentary on big news stories, spending what must be hours answering questions and explaining just what the hell is going on in the world now. At the moment, during the Russian invasion of Ukraine, she's basically running her own news channel from her kitchen table. I began by asking Lydia where her passion for politics comes from. It really stems from my school days when I studied politics at A-level um, and then went on to read history and politics at Newcastle. So I had that kind of academic interest fairly early on. And then through a series of life events, ended up working in Brussels for our um, representation to the EU. So at that time, um, the UK were members of the European Union and um, we were among the 27 member states that had an embassy effectively to the EU. And it was almost like a mini Whitehall. So all of the government departments are represented there. And I worked there for five years. And a lot of the way that I talk now about politics is reminiscent of the way that I used to talk with my colleagues. That was, you know, in the bar, which happened quite a lot, or just generally, you know, general chat. Um, and that was also where I met my husband, who, um, his name is Mike, but I always refer to him as the Matlow because um, he was in the Navy for 37 years and retired very senior, and he was a senior diplomat in Brussels when we met. Um, and I think my relationship with him is pretty key to this because um, we talk about politics all the time and we talk about current affairs all the time, and he has extensive experience in Whitehall as well as in the Navy, um, in policy and so on. So um, while I'm the kind of the face of my account he is there and he is kind of a, he's also a bit of a researcher for me as well. So, you know, he's, he's, he's the silent partner most of the time, but he, whenever he comes on, he gets a lot of um, attention. So <laughs> I know and I'm really pleased that you explained how to pronounce that. I thought it was mate lots. You're not alone. You're not alone. Um, lots of people. I do occasionally come on and just correct it because it is the French. It is the French for sailor, and it's a it's a naval nickname for a sailor. And actually, in Devon, it's usually pronounced um, Matlow rather than Matelot, which would be the um, the way. But it, it, there's an old story that basically, when we met, you know, he gave me this whole sob story about how he was just a poor Matelot down on his luck, and I thought it was the most ridiculous and hilarious thing I'd ever heard. So he became the Matlow ever since then. I love that he's a different kind of Instagram husband entirely, supporting your account, not necessarily by taking photos of you, but for acting as a researcher. 
to Helen, actually. Um, a poor man has been made to stand in the middle of roads and other dangerous places in order to capture photographs of me because I also have a sewing account where I talk about my dressmaking. And so he's often my photographer for that. So he is actually roped in in all sorts of ways, poor man. <laughs> and, you know, it, as I mentioned, your account is such a example of how we're all more than just one simple thing or type of person because alongside the, the political commentary that you guys share, you are also showing off the things that you make and create. Tell us about that side of you. I, I've never planned any of this. Um, I'm not a strategic thinker in that way. Mike's career in the Navy ended um, after his stint in Brussels. And so we were coming back to the UK, came to Suffolk for want of anywhere else to go, really. And we decided that we were going to work for ourselves and do that rather than try and commute and so on um, in order really to spend as much time together as possible. So I just ended up printing and sewing and making things as something to do. And, you know, I had all sorts of little businesses on the side. We also run a little Airbnb studio um, in our garden. And really, this the whole talking about politics came about because I was doing it anyway pre-business in that um, the Brexit referendum was going on and I um, spent a lot of time talking about that and kind of People had feelings, but they didn't necessarily have the the facts and figures at their disposal. I forget which year it was, but I think it was about 2017, 2018, when Instagram launched stories. And all of a sudden, there was this very easy way to kind of chat to people that was instant, only lasted 24 hours, was very conversational. And I just started talking about Brexit and saying, you know, this is what they're saying, but what you need to know is X, Y, Z and started breaking it down that way. And and that's how it started. And I've spoken in the same tone and the same way, whether it was to five people, and it's now 25,000 people that follow me um, in exactly the same way that I did then. It really challenges that perception of a platform like Instagram or any social media. In fact, it challenges several perceptions. First of all, that it's a light, happy place and you should go on there to share your beautiful designs or your funny memes or your beautiful children or your dog or whatever it might be. And it's not a place to talk about something that's serious and heavy. And it's not a place where you would dare to have a, an opinion, but you've found the opposite to be true. There is an absolutely an audience there for more serious current affairs content, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And I'm by no means the only person bringing political opinion and thought to Instagram. I think it really depends on what corner of Instagram you find yourself. And yes, you can entirely curate your your screens to only take in certain amounts of content of different topics. But there's there's so much political content on there. Um and and yeah, that's definitely the space that that I'm in. Um and I think we're all providing something different. And it's something that I say a lot, which is that I'm part of a chorus, not a solo, that I'm bringing my perspectives and my insights and occasionally my opinions. Um, but I don't want people to only li to listen to me that I'm only one source and every source brings its own bias because we, we always bring an edit. Um, you know, what I choose to share, what I choose to say is as much about what I don't say and what I leave out. And we all do that consciously or not. And so listening to me, I then also say that there are other accounts that you can get more information from, especially when it comes to uh, big events like Ukraine 
you know, sharing lots of Ukrainian accounts um, and other people that have um, valuable insight because just one voice is, is the way that we, we can, we can end up in echo chambers very easily if we only listen to people that we agree with and that are telling us things we want to hear. Why do you think that people are seeking out voices such as yours? Is it because you can stick your neck out more about what's going on, what the truth might be, what your take on it is? Or do they like to hear it from somebody who they feel is a friend? Why are people drawn to you, do you think? There's very much a mix of things. So when it comes to the media, less so on television, but certainly um, in quite a lot of news accounts and news online and in print, you're going to have a headline. And that's only going to give you the information in very broad primary colours. And what comment and editorials do and what I do is to kind of dig a bit deeper and to try and flesh that out with some more colours and nuance, light and shade. There's definitely an element of it being a friendly voice and I I talk about my work as being a digest. So I'm taking things and I'm, I'm kind of making it more um, accessible in that way. Um, and people also can come to me with questions in a way that you can't do that with a with a, a newspaper article. Um, and we have an interaction online that is entirely unusual and just I'm, I'm not sure is available in, in other spaces quite to the same extent. I imagine that your DMs are a very busy place. And Lydia, you often actually inv- invite questions and, and ask people to tell you what they are struggling to understand or what they'd like you to expand on. How do you cope with that vo- that volume of incoming traffic? It must, especially at busy news periods, become quite overwhelming, I imagine. Yeah, it's 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 a lot, but it does. It's never constant. Um, so the first week of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I did. I think 70 hours on Instagram talking to people, um, whether that was recording, whether that was, um, answering messages, having conversations with people. Um, and we're now at the stage, we're now, um, in our third week of the, of the war and there is an element of fatigue and that this has become much more normalized. And so the level of engagement has dropped off, which is a natural occurrence. It, it always happens. Um, because it's, it's feeling more normal to everybody. Um, and it's not normal, but that's a human reaction to, to huge events. We can't live at a crisis point for very long. And so we naturally kind of adapt down that reaching out to people for, um, understanding and to have their questions answered and to an extent have their hand held a little bit to kind of go, okay, I, this is a huge thing. I'm not really comprehending and, and seeking that reassurance in some way. There was an enormous amount of overwhelm, especially in that first week. You provide such a such a generous service through your account, Lydia, um, and it's not your job to do so. Why do you put so much time and energy into this content that you share? Probably because I can't help myself, Helen, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I found, you know, it is something I've asked myself because it, it is a lot of work and um, you know, we may well come on to, to ways in which I do support myself through, through this work as well, because I've always very much said that what I do on Instagram with regards to the news is given for free and that it always will be. And the reason for that is that 
if you ask people to pay for something, then that turns people off because they don't necessarily know whether it's going to be valuable and so on. You know, in, in terms of news content, there are a lot of newspapers that do this where you have to pay to access the Times and the Telegraph and so on. And then there are other newspapers that do things for free, but you have to do ads and da da da. And my feeling is that if people are coming to, to learn something, if they're coming to seek understanding, then I would, I want to give, be able to help them find that understanding, whatever that is, and that they should be able to access that for free. If they want to support me in other ways, then they can do that and we will maybe talk about that. But let's do it. Uh, it's not something that I've ever discussed with a guest on the show before, simply because I haven't interviewed anybody that uses this form of um, generating su- uh, financial support for their um, content. You use Patreon. So I use two things, one of which is... Um, something linked to PayPal, which is called Coffee, which is K-O-F-I. And the idea is that you kind of, oh, I like your work. Um, and, you know, I'd love to buy you a coffee. Like you'd go out for a chat with that person and buy them a coffee. And it's very much kind of figured to that level. So you kind of go in and I think, you know, it's usually donate three quid and you could you could do more if you wanted. And it's very kind of ad hoc, casual. And the reason that I set up Patreon is that it's a system whereby um, artists and creators can gain support very much on their own terms. And they are, they're literally taking on patrons in the old sense of patrons of the arts, where you kind of, you're giving something, but you, you're not necessarily in any control of what you're getting back. Um, and, and, and different creators will do it in very different ways. But the way that I set it up originally was that it was more like a, it was a pay monthly coffee, as it were. So every month you'd be buying me a coffee and it was kind of set up. And basically my patrons didn't get anything back apart from, you know, thanks. <laughs> um, they, my, they just got the access to my ordinary content because I very much said what I do is for free. And taking some of that content elsewhere kind of goes against that grain. Um, but what I've done recently for my patrons is that we now have Zoom chats a couple of times a month. You know, I share my, I share some of my opinions on Instagram, but I'm probably much, much more frank in that space because it's a much smaller space and I, I get to know people and therefore I know them better. And so, you know, I'm not speaking to a room full of people. I'm speaking to a couple of people, um, at very close quarters. So it's a different environment. So that's something that I do for my patrons now. Um, and they also are on my close friends list on Instagram. So that's another way that they kind of can be closer to me. Do you know what? I need to understand the admin of this, Lydia. Do you occasionally shout out, um, I have a Patreon. Would you like to make a donation this month? Or is this a, a, a regular thing that people are contacted about via an email list? How does this all work? I tend to think of it a bit more like political busking. You know, there I've been talking over the past month and, you know, sharing my my views, perspectives, links, articles, discussion and so on. And at the end of the month, I'll kind of put my cap out and say, if you want to buy me a coffee, like, here's how you do that. Here's a link. Oh, and I also do Patreon if you want to do it that way. Um, and I may be a little bit coy about my Patreon on the basis that it is quite a special little group and I actually don't want it to grow too fast because it is, they've become, it's become a very personal thing. 
I like that it's there and people do come in and they come and find me, but I, I kind of don't shout about it a huge, a huge amount. But other creators do it in very different ways. I also have a very, uh, very much a pay what you can scheme. So if you join my Patreon, I think the first tier is five pounds, the second's 10, I think the top one's 20, but everyone gets the same access. So you can say, well, actually I can afford 20 quid. I think that it's worth 20 quid a month. Or, you know, it's, it's that kind of, that's kind of thing. Um, but equally, most people are going to get most of my content for free because that's the way I do things and that's the way I want to do things. And I've very much said that I don't do sponsorship. I don't do ads. I don't have time for ads, quite frankly. I think I need to ask this question because it's what people listening will be wondering. But does this system of payment make it worth, worth your while financially? You don't have to put a number on it. But in terms of how you consider the income, is it, uh, is it a good return on your time? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, oh my God, if, if most of us worked out how many hours we work on all this stuff versus our income. <laughs> my interest is I'm, I'm obviously paying for subscriptions to things like the Times and Financial Times and so on. That's part of what I do and I need to be able to access them. So my first priority is to make sure that um, I'm covering those expenses. Um, it's nice to be supported and to to have that financial thing but um it's it's, it's a tricky also- it's a really tricky one because i could push it much harder but equally i'm always aware that there are so many things that people want to spend their money on and you know i'm i will say once a month do you want to give me a coffee that's great thank you very much but equally especially right now when people are very much concentrating on you know, if I've got spare cash, I might want to give it to Ukraine. I might want to give it to another charity. And so I'm always aware of that. And and so the opportunity is there and I welcome people supporting me, but I'm very aware that we all have so many demands and priorities on our money, especially in the current environment. And um, you know, I'm 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 happy with what I'm doing. Yes, it could I could earn more money from it, but actually I'm more concerned about people feeling supported and wanting to to understand and learn and to find, you know, to find the news a less scary place. It's it's incredibly uh, generous, Lydia. And I know that you have some, you know, really, you know, you've got a, a fan club of people and rightly so that follow your content. And I think the words that keep coming back in this conversation are around explaining and education and informing. And I think that anybody running any kind of social media account can start to think about how to generously give away their knowledge if they would like to not cynically grow a community, but you will grow a community around you if you can do that, won't you? Interestingly, the way that I do things um, is actually completely against the grain of growing an account. Totally. I mean, people like me would say the absolute, you know, don't mix up two different things. Don't share huge long videos and great big, you know, but you just do, you do what works for you, don't you? And it, and it works for you. Uh, yeah. And there, there are people that do some fantastic information sharing and educating in a very short form. And, you know, Blair Imani does her 60 seconds, um, 60 seconds smarter, which is amazing. She's actually brilliant at it. And she covers a huge range of topics and it's brilliant. Like everything about that is fantastic. I, I, I couldn't even begin to mimic that even if I wanted to. And, um, I would get much more 
um, engagement and shares and so on. If I came on and ranted and said, you know, so-and-so is a terrible person about this, that, and the other. And if I said this and I, you know, made big, bold statements, then actually that travels and engagement in stuff that, that gets an emotional response from people is a very valuable marketing tool. Like it's very basic. If you can engage somebody and anger is one of the ways that you can engage people, then your stuff will travel. And the way that I do things is actually much, much more complex in that I'm saying, okay, I can understand the anger. Here's some historical context. Here's some other points of view. Here's something you might not have appreciated. And it's much, much more complicated. And and therefore, I'm happy to do it that way because I, I think that that adds value. And over time, people have, have, have stayed with me and they, they stay with me and they talk to me and they've, they've, they find it useful. And actually, that's far more important to me um, than the numbers. And in fact, when the numbers go up, I'm like, oh, crikey, you know, to what extent do I need to kind of explain who I am, what I'm doing here? Um, because there is always going to be that cynicism that I must be being paid by somebody, that I must be trying to, and I must have an agenda and so on. And when I do have an agenda, my agenda is that I want people to be engaged in politics. I want them to feel part of the system, but it's not my business how they vote. It's not my business who they support. And trying to kind of create space for that, I think is really important because there just aren't enough spaces where people can come and not feel judged. I mean, I do express my opinion, but not, I hope, in any way that excludes people. Um, and I think, well, I'll exclude people who might be on the extremes, but I, I want it to be a space where people can find, can find information without feeling that they have to be on a side. Are you on the receiving end, though, of other people's anger ever, those people in the extremes, do you find? People share their opinions with me. Am I attacked for having a point of view or anything like that? And the answer is absolutely not. I have a huge amount of privilege to be able to say what I think and feel and not be attacked. And I, I'm very aware that a lot of my colleagues on Instagram will receive all sorts of kind of hate for saying exactly the same things that I do. You know, I was talking with my friend Kieran, who runs the Munching Medic account, and Kieran is a, a brown hijabi-wearing woman, and she's a paediatrician, and she talks about, um, you know, medicine. But she also talks about politics sometimes, and when she does, she's absolutely attacked. And the same for Medina on Greer Designs. And I will say exactly the same thing and get no, no pushback at all. That is partly my privilege and therefore, I need to use that platform in that way to say things that actually other people may be attacked for, um, for that very reason. You've mentioned a couple of great accounts there, Lydia. How can we assemble a chorus of uh, great voices on our Instagram to hear more about current affairs? There were just so many. And of course, the topic changes in that when I was talking about COVID, I would have a long list of um, medics and epidemiologists and scientists and so on. And now it's switched to um, people about talking about Ukraine and so on. And when I was covering the Afghanistan fallout last August, it, I had a long list of Afghan accounts, which I still follow. And it's still a great way of keeping up with what's going on in Afghanistan. So I always say that, you know, you're looking for opinions of people that you you know, people's opinions that don't match with yours. And that's actually quite uncomfortable, but you can sit, learn to sit with that discomfort. 
people that don't look like you, um, people whose um, skin colour is different from yours, whose bodies are different from yours, who come from different economic backgrounds, who are doing different things. You know, maybe you do follow people who work in your in your sector and area, but also looking out for people that that aren't in that in that range. Um, and you know, one of the issues with algorithms is that they feed you more and more of the stuff that you've looked for already. So it's, it is quite important to occasionally go, oh God, you know what? Instagram, like everything else, is pushing me into a very narrow space and I need to break out and just go and have a look through my other accounts that I follow and I've forgotten about. Um, and I think that that kind of refresh is important. And just be aware that, you know, we are naturally drawn to opinions that are like ours, worldviews that are like ours, and perspectives that reinforce our worldview. And we actually do need to break out of it. And so I kind of remind people that you do need to look out at what else is going on. It doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but you do need to challenge your own your own reactions. Can I just ask you what it has been like running your account since the invasion of Ukraine? Are you led by the dialogue you're having with your followers or are you inspired by something that has has happened and you're like, I need to respond to this right now? Both. Um, so it really depends um, on the news cycle and what's coming out of it in that if something big has happened, then I know that people will come straight to my account and be looking for my perspective. And so I might react to that. If there's an awful lot of different things going on at once, um, so far, I've been using a lot of question boxes so that people can help me um, respond to their particular questions and fears. Because as you say, a lot of news coverage leans into urgency in order to get our attention, but it, 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 it can be really anxiety inducing. Yeah, yeah. And um, of course, it's anxiety and inducing. And um, I've certainly done a lot of talking with people over the past few weeks about trying to measure up the risk to us in the UK, which I've very much said is low. Um, and actually humans, I found this with, with coronavirus, but humans aren't really very good at balancing or understanding risk. And so we often put a huge amount of anxiety on something that is scary but distant and unlikely and we will still continue to do things that are inherently risky so you know we will worry about the threat of nuclear weapons but then we'll get in our car and drive and actually the driving is far more risky than anything that is likely to come from the skies and so it's kind of just kind of trying to just ground people a little bit and go you know it's not that the risk is not there, but just need to put it in context and kind of just help people reassess a little bit and find some calm. You do such a brilliant job. I just want to talk to a different part of your soul for a minute, Lydia, the crafting side. What kind of um, designs do you make? Explain that to people that, who aren't already following you. Well, I think people following me for the politics might be completely surprised that I do do this because I'm very bad at sharing that side, especially when it's busy, um, because <laughs> I'm, I'm concentrating on other things. But, you know, I live in one of the most beautiful parts of the country on the Suffolk coast. Um, you know, it's a wonderful place between land and sea where we still have a beautiful river that goes out to the North Sea and there's a little fishing fleet there. Um, and then we have the fields that are just alive with hares and wildlife. Um, 
So my designs have always been inspired by those things. So my designs center on things like hairs and seed heads and natural organic shapes like that, foxes, uh, moths, and then the sea aspect of crabs and lobsters. And I print onto natural fabrics and then make them into, I hope, useful items, mainly zipper bags that people can take for their toiletries and their packing and so on. Um but using very kind of quite organic colours generally um, and just trying to evoke a little bit of the Suffolk coast is, is mainly what I do. It really is beautiful, the area of the country that you live in. Um, and I'm not surprised that it inspires you to create things. Um, finally, Lydia, your advice for someone who would like to run a social profile that shares all the things that they are passionate about even if they don't naturally seem to fit together how do you do that I honestly don't know Helen I mean I just think that we're all complex beings and none of us is single dimensional in any way shape or form we all have multiple interests and sometimes those things don't necessarily fit together naturally but the audience is also capable of seeing you in more than one dimension. People can consume a lot of variety in a person, I think, um, but also just being very clear with your boundaries about, well, actually, I don't know the answer to that, and, and being clear about what you are prepared and not prepared to share. Um, and I know that people find that quite difficult to to respond to sometimes but I think you've just got to be clear about how you're serving your audience and is serving your audience actually putting you in a place where you you're not capable in some way shape or form whether that's emotionally or in, information wise and actually you're not serving your community if you're you're just kind of throwing something at them. You say that you're not a strategist or a planner Lydia do you have any plans for your account in future or are you just gonna carry on and see where it takes you? Literally yes Helen because I haven't had a plan ever and when I look back at how my content has evolved it's changed so much over different times and that's also reflected what's going on in my life and what I've been capable of at certain times myself and you know there was a point last year when I disappeared from Instagram for about two months but nobody noticed for about six weeks and that was perfect like I didn't I wasn't looking for people to come to me and just by being quiet you know, people found their stuff elsewhere and so on. But when big things happened, they were like, where's Eddie? I haven't seen her for ages. Um, so people did pick up after a while that they hadn't seen me around. But that's ideal. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be front and centre in people's um, faces every day. That's not necessary or not what I'm looking for. And so I'm always hoping that I can give people the tools that they can go off and feel the confidence of it. And then, you know, if people want to come back to my account, that's great. But I'm always, I think in my life, I'm possibly unusual because I'm always trying to do less rather than more because I've always got other projects going on and I need space and time for those projects. So I'm always hoping in the end to do less and then the world confronts me and I find I'm here. Well, yeah, that certainly seems to have been um, yeah, it's un unrelenting perma crisis, I think some people call it. Yes, in summary, don't underestimate what people can 
cope with from us in terms of our uh, consistency or different you know aspects of our character and our interests but don't overestimate how much they're thinking about us we can have quiet times and take space if we if we need to Lydia it's been such a pleasure chatting to you thank you so much for your time thank you for what you do uh, and good luck keeping your energy up with it in the coming weeks and months thanks Helena it's been super The marketer in me has to struggle not to say to Lydia, charge more, push the Patreon more often. But I think that would be to misunderstand why she's using social media. Her account is the perfect example of designing your own way of doing things, sharing in a way that stays true to your values. I think that when we become untethered from those, it's when the whole business of marketing can feel gross and hard work and unrewarding. I also think it's really interesting what she says about how she does not get attacked for sharing certain thoughts, views or information where other visible women from different backgrounds do. It's important to be aware of. Let's talk more about values another time. Big topic. Thank you for being here. I'm grateful for every listen and special shout out to Dallas, Texas, where Suze, the producer, noticed we have an unexpectedly loyal listenership. Thank you, Dallas. I'll be back soon. Bye.